Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santee. It's a semi-special episode. (laughs) This was supposed to be our um, live recording where we invited uh, folks who had donated through uh, or supported the show through Buy Me a Coffee to be part of a live audience. But we only have one, so we just absorbed her into the conversation, (laughs) and she's just going to be one of the nerds today. Um, So quickly, I've also got Richard Cohen here today. Hello. And Bethany Corey. Hi. And then our um, our generous supporter, Annie Friday, is here. Also, social media friend for a long time. <laughs> no. Annie, um, do you want to tell folks about yourself? Because I know you do cool stuff. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think I do okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Annie Friday. I am in Michigan, and I transitioned from the play-based early childhood world to the world of self-directed education about four or five years ago. And now I run a um, learning center to support people engaged in unschooling and self-directed ed and to do it in person and together in group learning setting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've talked about just having you on to talk about that. So we're going to put, put a pin in that and, and think about doing that again, if you're open to that. Um, but welcome to the show. Um, thanks for being here. Um, so we're going to talk about um, this quote. I don't have a quote, but I have a question that keeps coming up. Um, And it came up yesterday in a session I was doing for a group in Massachusetts, the question of what do we do about or for children who don't know how to play. So I was doing this presentation about how we should move away from uh, early academics and the the push down and more towards um, free play um, in early childhood programs. And the question came up yesterday. It always comes up. So let's just have a chat about it as my cuber joins. (laughs) So, so one of the things that we talked about um, was just what, what does it mean that a child doesn't know how to play? So let's, let's, let's start there. What do you think that might mean? Or how do you know it when you see it? Yeah. Yeah. I think some people think um, like the child just sitting back and watching what's going on yeah isn't playing because they're not doing something yeah um maybe they're just like sitting on the swing outside or sitting on the couch Mm -hmm. not doing anything (laughs) yeah yeah or I have a student in my community college class she has two twin boys who are three and she says all my boys do is hit each other all the time how come they don't know how to play yeah yeah. And so I think that's that really hits on um, what I most often think people are asking about is either they don't understand the value or or haven't ever been sort of invited to recognize onlooker play as a thing of value. Um, but also we think of play just as that social play and mm-hmm. we don't look at the children who might be playing on their own. This comes up a lot in self-directed ed because sometimes we get kids who have been in um, conventional school previously, and then they arrive to a you know place like our center, and um, 
we don't do textbooks. We don't do teachers standing and teaching. We don't like, it's, it's a really great play-based early childhood center, but up through the ages, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes kids get there and they're like, where's the learning? <laughs> yeah. Where are the worksheets? And they don't, <laughs> they don't want to engage in play because they don't value it. And it's been taught to them to not value it. Sure. Um, but that's usually a little bit older and with some time and de-schooling and just patience, they, they come back to play. And, and we do realize though, that even as they get older, we have to kind of intentionally remind them that what they're doing in play is learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe sometimes that happens with the younger kids through their families when they, they kind of like, don't see the value in just, just play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we always have to put those air quotes around <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I have a, a former colleague. It, it, I mean, she's a friend, but we used to work together. Um, who told told me a story once about a neighbor that a neighbor child that came over, and Sarah just had like loose parts kinds of stuff, play doh with all kinds of uh, like straws and sticks and whatever. And and the the child sat there and almost had like a look of fear on her face. And Sarah said, well, just do whatever you'd like to do with them. And she said, no, I need you to tell me what to do with them. And that, um, that was so hard for me to understand because I've never, I've never really encountered that. Um, But I can see where that could come from um, someone who's always been directed or, or free play isn't like they haven't had those long stretches to just follow their ideas and things like that. I want to pause for a minute or or stop for a minute, get Mike involved here. Mike Huber joined after we started the show. And uh, Mike, the question is, what do we we talk about? What do we say to people who say, who ask us, what do we do when children don't know how to play? Yeah, you chose the perfect time because a school bus is backing up as (laughs) I unmute. But um, I'm I'm live from an apple orchard. So uh, anyways, um, yeah, I think for me, there can be a number of things, right, with that idea of not knowing how to play. Part of it can be kids get so directed, you know, people are driving their kid from one event to another. So just the idea, I mean, even for me, like sports, the way kids are like playing soccer at the age of four, rather than let's go to the park and have some balls there, you mm-hmm. know, like um, that type of thing, like how that became normalized is crazy to me. Yeah. But um, although the best like coaches do just sort of, like, okay, here's a bunch of balls that's running around the field. And... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but then there's also the, you know, neurodivergent kids who will play in ways that people are like, oh, they don't know how to play. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, plenty of, you know, we're on, this is the podcast where we've had some guests or you've had some guests. Yeah. Around. I mean, most behaviorist approaches are based on the idea that kids need to be taught how to play when what they're really being taught is how to play in ways that look like neurotypical kids playing. Mm -hmm. So that's another side of it. Yeah. And then there's the kids like you were saying before about the kids weren't playing socially, but it's still play. Yeah. And so it depends on the thing that's happening where I've been working. I'm in the middle of switching jobs, so it's going to be different. But where I've been working, it's mostly been neurodivergent kids. So usually I've been used to the people who are like, oh, they don't know how to play. And it's like, let's step back and watch what they do. That is right. their play. Right. Setting the, the, you know, the figures on the, you know, the, what do you call those? The um, uh, little action figures on the shelf and then knocking them over. That right. is their play, you know, and, um, and just a, 
appreciating that. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, just that idea. I think I told you that if I was watching one teacher and she uh, was like, hey, she was used to working with older kids and she's with toddlers and this kid's just filling up this bucket in front of yeah. her. And she's trying to pretend like, oh, what are we eating? And the child just scoops up more sand and puts it in the bucket. And, and finally, she turns to me and says, I'm not sure what we're doing. It's like, oh, I think she's just transporting the sand over and filling your bucket. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, you know, but all she needed to do is be told what to appreciate or what to look for. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's my long-winded answer. Yeah. That's why yeah. I'm here. Long-winded yeah. answer. Good one. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Well, Take a break. Example. You did good work. What, Richard? I was going to say, here's another example from this past week of my life. Uh, I was speaking with another young parent whose son is almost three. And she said, my son doesn't know how to play. He just spins around all the time. Yeah. And so then I had to launch into vestibularity uh -huh. and how that actually is the play he needs right now. And yeah, she was shocked. That's play. Yeah. yeah right now that is. That's yeah. what I mean. So, so will you talk about that though, Richard, what did you mean? Like what, what is the vestibularity and why do we, do you see it as play? Well, play in its broadest sense is what a person, just to use kind of Annie's wonderful term, which is yeah. it's um, it's what a, it, it's the self-direction that a person provides to their moment mm -hmm. um, and, and, to me, in its broadest sense, play is whatever the human being uh, is is moved to do mm -hmm. uh, in that moment, especially in the first years of life. Mm -hmm. And vestibularity has to do with, as maybe as many, everyone on this uh, panel knows, um, <clears throat> has to do with equilibrium in our ears mm -hmm. and our growing senses of balance as we as our body learns how to balance. And there are some young children's bodies who just need to practice. And we also know that um, we learn through repetition. Mm -hmm. And so repeated spinning is the kind of play that that child needs right now, their brain and their body needs. And it won't last forever. And that was part of the reassurance is right now, that's what your child needs. Um, and so just follow along. It's a gift to their brain. Um, and just know that by next week or a month from now, they'll need something else mm -hmm. and their play will look differently. Does that yeah. kind of answer your question? Yeah. And I think if, um, if we're just like, I, I always, um, sort of at this point default to, to Peter Gray and I, and I think Stuart Brown has a very similar definition of play where it's, it's voluntary, it's your own idea. It's motivated by your own, um, you know, your own ideas or needs or, or drives or whatever. Um, it's, you can quit at any time, um, I can't think there's a couple more that are escaping me. Do you know what I'm, what, what I'm missing, Bethany? No, I just wondered. Okay. Anyway. So, but that's, so, so it doesn't have to be like this organized group play to meet right. those criteria. Like I, um, I'm teaching a class right now. That's not specifically about play, but I include play in every class that I, that I'm teaching. And in the introduction discussion board, I just asked each of them among other things to tell us how they play as adults. And it was really a struggle. Like they were, they were naming things that they're doing because they enjoy it. And they, um, you know, it's their own motivation to do it and they feel joy while they do it. Um, but they were like, but I don't really play. I, you know, so, so I think it's, it's sort of, just getting it down to this definition of what can be play. 
Um, and it's such a broad definition that maybe that changes the question or, or, or helps the question asker to say, oh, it doesn't specifically have to be um, kitchen play in the dramatic play corner. And I think um, for people who might not understand like the nuances of play that I guess we're talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, they see maybe maybe their space isn't set up for like actual like deep play to happen. Yeah. You know, I think about like um, the parents who are like, you know, my I have all these, you know, we just keep buying these toys and they don't play with anything. And it's like, okay, but like, what are, what do you have in that space that they can, that they can actually explore and engage in? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Bethany, so looking at the materials. The spot? Hmm? Bethany, can I put you on the spot? Yeah, sure. You just said, a, you just used a great term that I would love for listeners and viewers to hear more about. What's the difference between play and deep play? Oh, I don't know. I told I think, you it's on the uh, spot. <laughs> yeah, like what? Um, what do you mean when you say deep play? Yeah, I guess I just mean like, um, something that the child's really engaged in. Um, yeah, you know, like that moment when, like, everything else kind of in the world is is blocked out, and they're just. Mm -hmm doing their thing and it might be with people or alone mm -hmm. but like they're just in the zone yeah they're in the flow of play right yeah Whoa, yeah. yeah and, and I you think... all know diane ackerman no i don't think so you know that name mike she wrote does a book called deep play uh, mm. and she said it sometimes takes 45 to 60 minutes to just even mm -hmm. get in that state right mm-hmm yeah. So if we're only providing interest center time for 30 minutes, there's a problem there. Yeah. That's what I was just gonna gonna say. Um, if your schedule, because what what when people are asking me this question in real life and I'm asking, what do you mean? What does that look like? Some people will say, well, they just wander and knock things off shelves, or they just wander and never get engaged, or they're just filling and dumping. So some of that could be schema exploration, but some of it could be they just don't have the time to decide what they want that play to be mm -hmm. and what what's wandering in our mind or our view is decision making in in the child's mind um and if they never have that time to flesh it out it's difficult or they may have learned it doesn't matter it do, it doesn't do any good to get involved because i'm just going to have to stop you know they may not be consciously thinking that but that could have been their experience yeah i also think it's this idea of immer being immersed in play and being deep in play is why it's so hard to describe, especially I think in a college course or something, because people want to know, you know, what's the scope and sequence here? Right. And, you know, it's like, what's the scope and sequence when you jump into a pool? You know, <laughs> maybe if you, you know, they want us to just do laps, but you can go any direction. And so it's that thing of like, you can use a lens after the fact of like, what did they do socially? What did they, you know, gain emotionally? What did their vestibular sense experience? What did their proprioceptive sense experience? You know, um, what sort of scientific things did they discover about gravity and momentum? Mm -hmm. You can do all of that after the fact. Yeah. But play is something you just dive into or jump into, maybe is a better term. And, 
and you can go any direction and it's like you know asking what the what was the learning is like asking when someone jumps in the water what did their hand do and it's like that's beside the point <laughs> or, or it's <laughs> it's part of it but you're missing so much when you try to describe one thing uh-huh. and so um because i've just been trying to write around how does cultural identity and gender identity develop during play and it's that thing of it's not like you play this way because oh i'm you know i'm wondering about this idea of a princess and i'm trying it out to see if that's me or whatever it's like it's not that easy there's not Uh like a a linear thing but it's what exactly why play is so important but it's also why you know nobody can describe it in or you know there's It's more than just words for yeah. it. Yeah. And and because we only value what we can measure, <laughs> right. play gets pushed to the side a lot. Or we right. we we have to decide. Um, you know, that's where this question comes from. I have to be able to measure whether or not this child knows how to play. Right. And, yeah. And nothing, I, yeah. I'm not seeing any of the indicators I typically think of. So we talked too about um onlooker play a little bit when we were before we started recording um as an option here. Um, and, and the value of just, or the, the idea that just sort of being back in the background and watching what's happening can still be play. Especially if you've never been in a social group in the three years you've been on the planet, Mm -hmm. you need to suss it out for a while, but maybe before you jump in Mm -hmm. and that's totally appropriate, developmentally appropriate and healthy to do that. That's onlooker. That's one definition of onlooker play. Yeah. The that, oh, go ahead. I think that also leads to the point of like you need a level of of trust and safety and and control of, of sure. having control in order to get into like you know you use that expression dive into play. You're not going to dive into anything unless you feel a sense of safety and trust. Sure. Um, and if we're if the adults in the space, whether it's home or, or a learning center or something, um, are controlling or over controlling that play or that you know what it looks like that definition of play then that doesn't feel very safe or um, you don't feel very trusted to get into your own space to try out what it feels like to be a princess or whatever going that way yeah the the issue I have when we start talking about onlooker play is because it's sort of originally introduced in Parton's Mildred Parton's stages of play or types of play it has an age range assigned to it typically when we're having that that conversation. And I don't know that it stops. I don't know that it's only toddlers that, that are engaging in onlooker play. So, so I think we get jammed up with that sometimes. Yeah. I was just thinking as, um, uh, and Annie was speaking, um, just about like, um, somebody participating in a religious service or anything like that. Do people who go to church, go to synagogue, feel like they're not participating by being there watching you know like to me it's like we always like participating and being an onlooker aren't aren't different things i guess it's a very binary idea are you participating or are you yeah looking on and so it always happens and i i think Um, about like people listening to the podcast like how many times are you listening to the podcast and you're like yelling at heather every time always and you're like if I was on I would be like but this like that's the same thing like we don't know what's going on in the inner world of that child who is just sitting there watching the action unfold yeah 
And if we we think about Vygotsky and the more knowledgeable other, right? His his idea is that we learn socially. And um, as a field, we kind of take that idea and think, well, it must be then that I directly teach a skill and that's scaffolding and I'm the more knowledgeable other. But in reality, their peers are, I think, much more effective, more knowledgeable others. So that that idea of sitting back um, is still part of their, hmm, I want to, I'm trying to keep it connected to play because I kind of jumped into learning then, but they're interconnected, right? They're not, it's not a dichotomy. Um, but I, I feel like for somebody that might be the thing that gives onlooker play value is that this is, this is a, a more knowledgeable other situation. And Heather, you and I have talked before, um, <clears throat> or at least I've said with you before, um, I can't stand part in stages of play. Yeah. Because they're not stages. Yeah. Um, so that word stages implies a linear progress. And human beings jump around in all of those. I don't know what word to use besides stages. Yeah. But onlooker is not a stage. It's just Tights. a time you need, a place and time you need to be sometimes. Right, right. We could say it's a type of play. A type and of I'm play. more comfortable with that than stage of play. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And maybe for some, it is a stage they move through and, and not necessarily like, I'm trying to think like, so if if it was defined as being part of the toddler stage, like, mm -hmm. is there something that becomes toddler about you sometimes, again, if you're in a new environment yeah. or <laughs> with new people? Um, and so you kind of, yeah, you get to do that dance of returning to different places right. in your brain and body. Yes. So yeah. well said. Right. And that's the thing, right? When you age, you, you never, you're never not the person you have all those stages or whatever you want to call them oh, yeah. inside you or anything. Why am I tearing up? <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking of my dad, some of the last conversations I yeah. had, and he talked about playing, you know, with his dog as a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it wasn't just that he was telling the story. It's like you could see him reliving the story. It's like your brain doesn't get rid of those like mm -hmm. experiences. They're all there. So yeah, I think that's a great way of, like, of talking about it, right? That yeah. it's sometimes you're that toddler. There yeah. might be things that you can't do yet, but once you learn to do it, it doesn't go away. You still yeah. need to do it. You still need to be able to sit upright in a chair to drive a car it's not like well now i don't have to sit upright anymore now i drive <laughs> you know they're like it's accumulative not a stage that you yeah. leave yeah yeah something you check off is that what you were doing annie yeah, like a milestone check checked off and you never visit it again <laughs> yeah i yeah. can walk done done <laughs> never have to walk again now <laughs> on to bigger and better <laughs> That kind of reminds me of an aspect of, of what we've been talking about yeah. that, I, that I kind of wanted to bring up. Um, earlier in the conversation, I heard Mike talking about um, sometimes you can't understand what's happening in play until hindsight, until you can, until after it's happened. Mm -hmm. And one of my frustrations with this field are lesson plans. Yes. And this <laughs> idea that you can plan for it ahead of time, make it a behavioral learning objective, and then go about meeting that objective and guarantee that that learning will happen because you did the thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not going to plan a spinning activity um, <laughs> to give them an experience of vestibularity. 
they're going to spin and I'm going to be there to observe or facilitate or yeah. play alongside or whatever. But I think of my old dear friend, Bev Boss, who never wrote a lesson plan in her entire life and yet probably provided one of the most rich uh, early childhood programs that we've ever had. Yeah. Um, lesson planning, which also takes us back to another topic we get another soapbox we get on in this podcast which is we want to be these educators and yeah. we're told that we're supposed to be educators and we don't know how to reconcile that with play mm-hmm. which is what we know they most need right right um yeah that that's been up, coming up for me a lot lately too in conversations with people is if, if i'm just letting just again, just in quotes, letting <laughs> the power in that word is kind of weird too. If I'm just letting children play, then how am I the teacher? Um, and it starts with understanding play ourselves because then we can start to connect. Okay, here's how I'm contributing. If I feel like I have to be contributing as a teacher and a professional in some way, I just, it's not going to look like my elementary school memory. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to shift it. I still have something that I'm bringing to this if my ego needs that. And I don't mean ego in like a negative way, just like we all have that, you know, that need well, we to need define to bring, ourselves. Sorry. No, go ahead. We need to be, bring respect to the word facilitator. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in being a teacher, but I'm proud to be a facilitator of, yeah. young, of young children's experiences. Mm-hmm. That yeah. should be a capital F with a higher paying salary attached to it no kidding and sometimes that facilitation is doing nothing right like right. Sta- standing back and getting, um, out of the mm-hmm. way. and getting out of the way were you gonna say something bethany yeah i think um also like it being a facilitator whatever experiencing life with children um <laughs> i'm sorry it, the word facilitator just always makes me giggle because of um taters precious from long <laughs> lord of the rings <laughs> what's taters anyways go ahead without me please continue (laughs) we bring our values into it (laughs) um you know I think about like for me like uh I really like edible nature things oh okay (laughs) um it's like the sleepover is over Bethany yeah I know sorry uh and like being able to like rip something out of the ground and know we can munch on it for a little, uh-huh. a little snack. Um, and so like, that's something, you know, that's like part of my values and that's something that I facilitate with the children, but I'm not like, all right, kids, this is a dandelion. You can eat this, you know, like yeah, dandelion flashcards. Right. <laughs> well and only only when it's you know d is the letter of the week right yeah 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 Yeah. we did dandelions last week yep so ignore those yeah Yeah. but a lot of times oh sorry go ahead you like you have to know like what i don't know i'm like you have to know what you value yourself yeah before you can (laughs) let children value things Uh too i think yeah all right, Annie. Well, and it's going to gonna decide say? what you have. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hold on, Mike. It's Annie's turn. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say sometimes that facility, like I love the word facilitator also. It's what most self-directed ed centers call their adult people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have come to realize, and that was a really hard shift for me. Like, 
oh, nobody really needs me. <laughs> need my voice. But yeah, what yeah. they do need sometimes is just me to like hold space and like be the adult present so that if somebody else wanders up and is like, what are these kids doing at the park or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, hey, here, I'm here with them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all I'm doing is facilitating by allowing that to happen. Yeah. Nice. I liked your uh, Krabby Park person. <laughs> That we was spot on, <laughs> spot on. Mike, did you have something you wanted to say or were you just kind well, of agreeing with I Bethany? Well, I think uh, um, basically agreeing, but I think, yeah, facilitation. <laughs> I was thinking, though, it's like some of it's the setup. Like you brought them to the park or you have carrots for them to pick or you, you know, um, uh, I couldn't read that because it was a it was a picture of a potato with the word facilitator. Oh, nice, nice. (laughs) Yeah, I also do appreciate it for the potato reference too. But um, anyway, yeah, but just that idea, like you make lots of choices, but then the kids can can do it. You know, like that's like the the funniest thing when people think, well, what do you do? It's like, well, just go into a room where someone is not good at facilitation or a, a program that's not like. You know, like it's so uh, you watch kids who are just engaged and Mm -hmm. just, you know, really involved in what they're doing. And it looks like the teacher is doing nothing. It's like Mm -hmm. you will not have kids doing that if you don't have someone actually uh, facilitating. Yeah. So that's what I I like about the word. And when people say, no, it's oh, just take that person away. What do you think would happen? Or watch these same kids in a different environment. Yeah. And there's you know, suddenly, you know, doing letter of the week or whatever thing. And yeah, they don't show any signs of brilliance. You know, it's like, you can't find the genius if you don't let the kids uh, show you. uh, I mean, they have to show you. Yeah. 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 Um, So can I, um, I want to direct it back again to the original question for a minute, just because the other thing we talked about when when we were thinking about the question of what about the children who don't know how to play was the idea that there are children who don't who want to join some social play but don't really seem to be comfortable doing that um so i want to get some thoughts about that part of the question well so of course we model we invite Mm -hmm. we encourage off the top of my head those are three things we do when we see children who appear to not be participating in play we never force it, but we're always the one to invite, uh, to encourage, and to be down there on the floor playing, to show them what it looks like. Yeah, it just occurred to me as 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 you started talking, Richard, that this is what Mike's last uh, teaching with the body in mind was about. Right, was about oh. joining. So, yep. um, one of the things that I appreciated was you, um, in, in that episode, and and you can talk more about it here, but just talking about watching for cues that tell us like, do they really want to join or are they just watching? Like, is my right. invitation going to interrupt their onlooker uh, process or do they really, what's telling us they want to join? Yeah. And for me, I think the biggest thing is uh, the, the biggest um, change for me in the recent past as a facilitator is looking at the different types of expressive language. So that idea of looking at their facial expression, looking at their gestures, looking at um, their vocalizations even, does it seem like they want to join? Verbally, they might not have that yet. And often it's because the two children aren't reading all the cues. They haven't mm-hmm. 
the more you do it with kids, the more they'll pick up on it. But sometimes kids are, well, they didn't, they just have to ask. Or even mm -hmm. the teachers, you know, the adults will say, oh, ask them if you want to play. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's actually not how kids join play. They, the master players walk over, do a head nod, maybe pick up a puzzle piece and look at the person, see what their expression is, and then you just join. Uh -huh. You don't ask. Like, asking is usually the sign of someone who doesn't know how to join play. Um, yeah. And and that's the thing I think we miss and what children don't do. And so we try to tell them they should use their words. And that, yeah. like, I think it's the exact opposite of what helps kids. Right. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go up to a group and ask if I could join. Like, you know, I'm trying to, in an adult social situation, I would just walk in and, and mm -hmm. start listening. And then you stand you know? and like I would nod do some your onlooker. Head. Yeah. And then I would kind of walk closer and do some listening and see where I, where I contribute. Um, we had a, we did have a boy in, in one of the preschools I worked in who um, would walk up to groups of children playing and by group, I mean, you know, maybe two or three other children playing and throw things into the group, like kind of stand back and throw things in. And um, he didn't have uh, the same level of um, conversational skill, you know, or, or, or expressive language that the other children did in the classroom. So part of it, um, you know, just, we just sort of watched and it did really seem like he was trying to get them to look at him so he could, he could join. But we started to just like when, when the, that little boy was playing on his own and doing something he really enjoyed. Um, there were times, not always, because I don't want to make it, I don't want to be invasive or interrupt his own solo play, but I might sit down and say, this is, I, I've been watching you play. I think it's really fun. Can I invite Michael to come play with us and bring other children into play he's already established instead of trying to get him into a group that's you know to, to sort of give him a, a different comfort level with with that social play but I wouldn't do that with everybody and I wouldn't do it without a lot of watching and and wondering first mm -hmm. so what I hear in that oh go ahead I was gonna say you said how do you engage as an adult and it made me think like so much of it is that nonverbal and it's like all about a vibe check like yeah. are, we, are we and I think there are kids who show up sometimes whether it's that they have high levels of trauma or they've been in a highly controlled environment and they do do that where they throw something in or maybe come up and whack a kid mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily know how to socially acceptably ex insert themselves into that play, but they're showing some sign that they want to be there. And so that is a perfect example of how you can be a facilitator and help facilitate that connection and then kind of teach them how to do the vibe check through. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to me, this comes back to what every, I think almost 100% of uh, that early childhood nerd podcasts end up to be about at the foundation. <laughs> Mike talked about um, being able to read their nonverbal communications. Heather talked about, um, I wouldn't do that with every child. And Annie talked about a vibe check. Mm -hmm. And all of those are rooted in relationship building. Mm -hmm. You can't do any of those things well, unless you first set out to build relationships with every child in your care and to get to know them as individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've silenced us. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, I think that's known as a mic drop. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of mic drop, um, I actually, because my battery's getting low. I'm we're we're literally dropping mic. You're losing your mic. So that was the mic drop moment. 
Okay, <laughs> bye. See the whole conversation later. <laughs> um. So, well, that's unfortunate because um the the last thing I wanted to touch on was the the specific kind of question that came up yesterday, which was someone said, um, you know, they don't really know how to play; they just kind of wrestle around wrestle around with each other. And that would have been nice to have Mike's rough and tumble <laughs> expertise, but we'll just move on without him. But I mean, the I so I just finished reading this book called The Whole Child Alphabet by Stacey Benj. And she's by the time people listen to this, she will have been on the show. But one phrase she kept using through her book was the brain tells the body what it needs. And then the child's actions tell us. Yes. And I think that can connect here. Um, I know we're uncomfortable a lot of times with rough and tumble play, although more people are getting, you know, hearing about it, talking about it, but ultimately, um, you know, that might be the child's body telling us, you know, I need, I need some touch. I need, um, interaction that I'm comfortable with. Um, I need big body movement here. That's all still play, even though it looks like just wrestling around for us. Well, and you mentioned Stuart Brown earlier, yeah. I think, um, who's been shouting from the rooftops since before Bethany was born <laughs> um, about rough and tumble play. And yeah. then we sort of get into the weeds of uh, gender identities, which would also have been a great uh, yeah. reason to have Mike Mike here. really blew it. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, for anyone who's just listening to this, Mike was very distracting through this whole thing because he had a whole crocodile Dundee in the jungle <laughs> thing happening. Talk about Mike. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. He looked yeah. like he was looking for some facilitators. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, anything else to say about the wrestling, the rough and tumble? Or we just kind of... Well, just to reiterate what yeah. you said, which is it could be valid play. Yeah. Don't dismiss it so quickly out of hand as saying my children don't know how to play. It very well me the may well be the kind of play they need to be engaged in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And like everything, when when people talk about risky play or this kind of stuff, I say if you're concerned, move closer. Like just get get there closer. And if you see that some of them are not willing participants anymore, then that's one one guide for for what you do about it if you see that none of them are really bothered by it and they're smiling and they're engaged or um, and if they don't know how to do that big body rough and tumble play mm -hmm. like that can be terrifying to see for everybody sure yeah <laughs> to see an experience you know and so it's like you've got to model that too like um you know I've had kids where like they literally needed to roughhouse uh -huh. but didn't know how to okay yeah so it was like you know you've got to get in there and like yeah so maybe it's the, the one kid who walks through the group of <laughs> of others you know just sort of like a bowling ball through bowling pins and right could be searching for that kind of thing yeah well and I think the wrestling and big body play sometimes um and I know you've talked about this before it's like it can bring up a lot of um, emotions and it could be activating or triggering to mm -hmm. the adults in the space. So like the question comes back to you, why does it not look like play mm -hmm. and how can you make it feel more like play to you? If you need to make a, a safer space for it, if you need to talk about those boundaries, talk about, you know, if you have a multi-age environment, are there kids of very different sizes and yeah. um, coming together in it and that feels unsafe or less play-like and more scary. Yeah. Yeah. 
which comes back to relationships. <laughs> That's always a good place to end. The, the, Richard's right. It does seem like a lot of these conversations end on this, on this note. And um, which can also be uncomfortable for some adults, right? I think about the work that Jules Page and Carol Garboden-Murray are doing about professional love. If we feel like we need to have this clinical professional attitude all the time, then relationship conversations about building these kinds of attuned relationships with children become um, a little bit more difficult than if we can bring ourselves in as, you know, sort of fellow human beings with other human beings who happen to be younger and smaller than we are. Okay. <laughs> I guess we've talked ourselves out then. Um, so I appreciate it. I think this was um, uh, just what I needed today. I was sort of having one of those days where I was like, oh, am I going to have anything to say? And then I, I get on and I do in fact have things to say. Um, and I appreciate it just being here with you all. Um, and thanks, Annie. For jumping yeah. in and, yeah. and being, a, being a nerd with us today it was fun to have you in the conversation um with that being said we'll be all done <laughs> thanks everybody for listening to another episode of that early bye. childhood nerd we'll see you again bye bye and that's the show now go get your nerd on has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.